Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest, and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. Today, we're going to talk about how we invest our own money. So not financial advice in this uh, episode. We're going to talk about what we do. And we're going to do that in the context of the three wells of wealth that we mentioned in a previous episode. So uh, to recap, the three wells are uh, well one, which is your short-term buffer. So that's your one to 12-month money that will cover your living uh, costs. Uh, Well two is your two to five-year money. Um, so that is for sort of lifestyle costs, so car upgrades and school fees and holidays and so on. And then wealth three being your longer term bucket or well of wealth. Um, so ideally, those can just continue um, as legacy assets, just compounding away in the background for you. Now, obviously, Steve, you and I, um, different ages, we've had different backgrounds, different professional careers. So it stands the reason we're going to have somewhat different approaches and different portfolios. Mm. Also, um, as we always stress in our programs, is that there are nine different personality types and different people have different motivations, different sort of underlying motivations as well in terms of what they're trying to achieve and why. Uh, So it stands to reason that people are not going to have their portfolios that mirror each other. You as a case in point is a, a type seven person sort of freedom and adventure being your your underlying motivation you're going to be naturally more inclined towards liquid investments and basically just a lot of fu money this is you never have to work for a yep. boss ever again uh, somebody else uh, like myself would probably I, I haven't over analyzed this stuff but i would say probably a deeper underlying insecurity about about money essentially i guess having come from a broken home with divorced parents and stuff, there's there's probably uh, more of an underlying insecurity which tends to tilt me towards hoarding long-term investments. That's right. So real estate being a classic case in point. It's an illiquid investment. It doesn't really help you much from a cash flow point of view. No one can boot you out of it. Well, that's right. But it's... uh, you know, the, uh, even if the, the house burns down, you've still got the land sort of mentality. Uh, so within that context, uh, why don't we start with, um, so this is going to be a slightly extended episode. Yep. I think a good place to start with the three wells concept is is really your IP. How did the idea come about and right. why? Yep. And then we'll elaborate on why it makes sense from a total money management point of view. Okay. How it came about. It came about through a divorce, actually. Um, when my ex-wife and I separated, we said, you know, here's your bit, here's my bit. And then I took a sort of hiatus for uh, a fairly well extended period of time. And at that stage, I was about 52. I hadn't worked for a long time because we were overseas with my wife's job. 
uh, we had children there, so I looked after the kids and I invested our money. So anyway, long story short, we came back, got divorced, and they were like, here's a big clump of money. Okay, now what do I do? So at that point, and I can tell you, it's not a pleasant experience, but it, there was one security, which was at least I, I once I sort of realized and went, okay, well, what am I going to do? Well, okay, I don't need to decide tomorrow because I've at least got enough money to get me through some, you know, an extended period of time. So that's the background. I've always been a reader. I've always been a bit sort of philosophical. I like philosophy and I like physics and investing and economics and sociology and all that sort of stuff. So I spent a lot of time doing, you know, long walks, thinking about what I would do with my life and also looking after my young children. And the idea came from my desire to replicate what I had as a child, which was when I get home, my mother was always there. Um, the other thing I'd done was because I'd basically been the, the primary carer for our children, I would go to all the events, you know, that in the old days that mum sort of went to, you know, I went and did tuck shop and, you know, I went to swimming carnivals and I still do. So I wanted to still do that because I think it's important for my children point of view. Now, it doesn't suit everybody because some people have got to work two jobs as in a, you know, a team. And so it makes it difficult. But I had the luxury in that stage. What I did then was said, okay, well, if I had this big bucket of money and I'm not a buy and hold believer, then, so I just don't plonk my money in and go, okay, well, that's it. Because I've actually got to extract money to, you know, pay for the restaurant, pay for the movies, pay for school fees, uh, think about my long-term future, you know, how am I going to hand my money on to the kids, all that sort of stuff. Well, if I had $100, then how would I look after my long-term future? How would I look after my sort of middle term? And how would I look after the short time frame? So what I came up with was sort of said, well, well, three is your superannuation, okay? You don't need that money now. You're not going to get it for a while. So you can take a different approach to that because there you can say, all right, or like we discussed before, you can buy a cheap company and compound it at, you know, eight or nine. The middle well, well two, was basically about that sort of stuff where I said, well, what about if I want to upgrade the car? Uh, I want to take the kids to, you know, Japan where I spend a lot of time or Europe or something like that. Then that would be another pot or another well of money that I would use. And out of that money, I would say, well, what I would do is that, and that's where we'll talk about later about the ETF strategy, where it's more turnover. And if I make a lot of money in one year, I take some off the table, hold it in that well. Well, one is basically saying out of the hundred, let's say I said, all right, I'll put 40 in my super. I'll put 40 in well two. And in well one, I've got 20 left. And out of that 20, I have to have a shorter term strategy that will pay the bills. So for example, it's, it's and I got to say to people, it's not trading. It's, it's got nothing to do with trading. So it's about saying, if I put $1,000 in, or if I put $20 in this week, and if I needed $6 at the end of the week, can I, can I peel it off without reducing my portfolio too much? So it would be simply, in a, if I can use an annual time frame. It would be like saying, I put 100000 in in January, I made 20000 or 30000 and I used that as my day-to-day spending money. And then people will say, oh, okay, but what about holiday to Europe? Okay, that was in well too. And in well too, I made 20000 so I put that away and said, because I'm going to spend seven on Europe. 
in well three, I'm compounding because I don't need that money. So that was the way I sort of, after many long walks, came up with the three wells concept. The reason why I found it useful is because it deals with the timeframes that fairly well align with your life, if I can put it to you that way. Using the same concept to look at the way I've invested over the years. So uh, someone who got into real estate, so we've got property assets bought way back in the 1990s and so on. What what you find is that if you're looking at it in the context of the three wells, real estate is is a classic type wealth three investment is illiquid. It's not very practical to buy and sell real estate. Um, It goes through cycles like other asset classes, but it, it essentially just sits there and compounds away in the background. It doesn't really help you much from an income point of view. You often find as well for a lot of people that superannuation, their super goes into that that wealth three bucket for the simple reason that they can't access it before they're 60 and it just sits there compounding away in the background. Uh, it can eventually form part of a legacy for people, but um, it's, it's thought of in the, the, the longer term time frame because you can't access the money. Now, like a lot of migrants to Australia, my superannuation balance uh, was never that great because not only did I start my professional career in London, I've also had periods of time working overseas. Uh, so my wife and I built up a decent pot in our self-managed super, but for us, it's a lower piece of the pie than it might be for other people. What we find in our coaching programs is that people generally, they don't have too much trouble building up a buffer for well one. What we see time and time again, it, what's, it's the missing middle. It's that well two for people. That's usually what people are light on. And just building up a big enough balance in that two to five year pot, because that's really what gives you total financial independence uh, for the simple reason that that money, if you manage it yourself between stocks and cash, it's liquid. If you have an expense that comes up, whether it's health or a car upgrade or whatever it is, it's money you can access. uh, But it's also money that you can generate solid returns on through the cycle, you know, depending on whatever your target is, 10, 12 percent. And if you're just comfortably doubling that money through the cycles, you'll do just fine. Uh, What we often see, and it's a bit self-selecting because we have quite a few property-heavy investors given the cycle we've just been through, people often have their wealth three, their their super, their property. And as we mentioned, you can have long-term company investments in there too. But often what's missing is that second pot, that two to five-year fund. My portfolio by its nature is is heavy in well three. I'm moving sadly into middle age now, so I'm, I'm transitioning towards building up that well too. But this is where you need to put it in the context of your own situation yeah, and stage yeah. of life. At my age, 57, I'm going to have a different investment approach to someone who's 27. And what you notice though is the, the, the advice is always like, well, you know, get a job, earn money and save. Okay. But how much do I save? Well, you know, save for the future. Okay, but what future? Um, when I'm 60 or when I'm 40 or when I'm 35 or that sort of thing. So what you find is people naturally sort of get an income, whether it's a, a weekly salary, and you say, all right, well, you know, that's for the bills and I better put a bit away for the electricity and that sort of stuff. Um, oh, I want to go to Europe or I want to, you know, do something next year. Well, I better put a bit of money away for that. Um, and your super contribution usually just go straight out into, your, into the, the super. So as I tell you, it's, it's actually born out of just the way we naturally tend to think about our money. 
what you're saying about the well in the middle is right because most people say, well, you don't have a choice about paying electricity bills or, you know, eating. So that money's a given. That's accounted for. At well three, you can't do anything about that either because you can't get to it for a long time, depending on what your age is, of course. It's that one in the middle where you go, um, well, what should I do with this money to sort of not spend it in the short term or be tempted to, but also I don't want to put it away and lock it up. What you have to do is you have to learn how to invest it. Some people do that by going to financial advisors and saying, you know, we've got an X, an X amount of money. The problem is I see there often the buy and hold mentality falls in and that's not the appropriate thing to do if that's not what the money is going to be, a buy and hold mentality. You know, so you've got to determine how much your spending costs are. Just for example, if you said, look, it costs me $50,000 a year to live, you can say, all right, well, how much would I need to earn or how much capital would I need to generate 50000 a year? Now, if, if I said to you, well, look, you know, it's a bit of a, a line in the sand, but it might be like, well, let's say it's 10%. All right, well, you'd need 500000 okay? Then you can develop a well one strategy that even if it doesn't get 50, it might get 35 because other years you might get 82. You can just use that pot of money to sustain you. And also, if you do it correctly, you can actually build on it as well. So you touched on a really interesting point there. How, how many times do you hear this? People have got some spare money. They don't know what to do with it. They're terrified of making a mistake. So the logical thing to do, go and see an expert yep. and or an advisor. And the advice that they get is, well, put your money here, here and here. Yep. And then it does well for two or three years or four years, whatever it is. Then it drops off a cliff. And then they go off elsewhere and say, well, I went to see this advisor and he told me to stick my money in these things. And then they drop 50, 60 percent because the advice is often centered around just buying and holding. And then they say, well, that stupid advisor, he told me to do this, this and this. I guess this is the um, the problem. If you if you're not actively managing your money, like sooner or later, that is going to happen. We know that the cycles occur. Yeah. I think part of the problem is thinking in timeframes, right? So we mentioned you may well have some money, you know, for example, we have self-managed super fund. We can't touch that for another, presumably, you know, in my case, it might be nearly 20 years away. So that makes perfect sense for me to be just drip feeding money into things like the BPs and the shells yep. and whatever else, the, the, those strong income producing stocks, because I know I can't touch it. You know, that that's stuck in there, it's locked away for 20 years. But that might not be the appropriate strategy for me in my two to five year time horizon. Yeah, yeah. But I might want to do something different with, with much more uh, focus on the market cycle. And um, the balance that I have in cash might uh, need to be, you need to control the exposure essentially. And the, last year, the market was so damn expensive that we were you know, tilted very heavily towards yeah, cash. Yeah. That may change this year. A lot of people, particularly your age, a little bit less so my age, what you're finding is as the world becomes richer overall, my parents gave me nothing. And that was because they had to build up a lot of assets and, you know, there's, I'm one of five and blah, blah, blah. But my children will not, you know, will more likely be richer than I am because they've got a base to work with. My point being, even in my case, with the divorce, you go, oh, now I've got a big clump of money. Uh, what do I do? And a lot of people who are, you know, the the millennial investors whose, you know, boomer parents die and say, here's, you know, here's 200,000, then say, well, 
I don't want to lock it up in my super fund for 30 years because I actually want to go to Europe. Now, I can't go to Europe now, but I'd like to go in, you know, I'll start planning to go in two years' time. So it becomes a, a, a discussion about exactly about the three wells. What do I use now to say I'm going to go and buy a car? What do I use in 12 months' time to say I want to go to Europe or, you know, I want to do something? And how much do I put in my super? Because there's a tendency for people to put not too much in their super because you can't get it back. Yeah, it's very tax effective, mind you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's very hard to get excited when you're 25. But it's hard to, it's <laughs> hard to go, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, put it all in super. It's like, what, are you crazy? I want yeah. to buy a new car. In 35 you know. years' time, you That's might... That's exactly right. You know, Even though you might well be better off. If you live that long, then yeah. yeah. yeah but, that, <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I remember signing up for my first superannuation fund and the, the company recommended a certain fund. Yeah, I ticked the box. Who cares? You yeah, know, it's, yeah. It's th- this is decades into the future and if the fee's half a percent or 1%, I'm not really that interested. It's only as you sort of move through life that you start thinking, especially after some of the downturns, you start thinking, well, hang on a second, what value am I really getting from yeah. this fees? Or if you get a family, you know, your situation changes. Suddenly your priorities are like, you know, no more fancy cars. We're going to talk college education or, you know, school fees and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the Well One strategy. I don't expect you to give away your secret sauce, but yep. let's say for the sake of argument, you've got 200,000 that you've set aside mentally yep. as a buffer. So that does a few things for you. It, it just gives you a peace of mind in case of um, job loss or unforeseen health issues, whatever else. But these days, uh, cash in the bank doesn't really earn a lot. Um, some people can use mortgage offsets and redraws. That's that's a valid uh, means of at least making the money not be lazy. Yeah. But what if you want to actually generate an income on that well or bucket of money uh, using a shorter term time frame? This is a result out of you know understanding that buy and hold is not the best approach at all times. And I should clarify that because, you know, buy and hold people, will, you know, like bogleheads and people will be outraged. Um, what I mean by that is you can't buy and hold in a bear market, okay, because you're going to lose money. It's evident that we have bear markets. So buy and hold is great if you start at 1982 when the Cape Ratio is at seven. It's not real hot starting in when the Cape Ratio is at 44 because not everybody can rebalance for three years pouring money into the market particularly if your situation is fluid in terms of employment. As you know, life just comes at you. And, and like me, I'm sailing along and then I'm in a divorce and thinking, gee, you know, um, I didn't have that in the fo- uh, I didn't have that in the plan. You know, so that's the way life works. You've got to be sort of in some ways not on guard, but you've got to have a preparation or a sort of strategy to deal with it. And and again, that's why you don't want to lock up all your money in superannuation if you need it in a shorter time frame. So well one is basically, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, very simple strategy. People get it to the point where it becomes really obvious. Most of the time talking to people about investing is talking to them about what their prior beliefs are about investing. Now, most of us have got it from investors or financial advisors People who say buy and hold, you know, even Warren Buffett says, oh, you know, my favorite holding period is forever. Well, that's good, Warren, but I haven't got $75 billion. 
So, you know, I've got a, a life to lead and I've got to manage a bit of money. He also trades and rebalances. Absolutely, which is probably, absolutely. It's, so, a, it's an interesting thing, actually, because you do often see, you know, the Warren Buffett quotes getting rolled out yeah, yeah, by yeah. people. So, well, Over the long term, it'll far, go up. Right. As far as I know, Warren Buffett doesn't say buy at any price, though. No, which no. Is, which is what we've been hearing for at least two, yep. three years. Well, just keep buying because you can't time the yep. market. So you'll I'm, know, you'll I'm know pretty sure I've are, never heard Warren Buffett say that. You'll know stocks are really cheap when they roll Warren Buffett out and he goes, I'm buying American. And that's when you know stocks are cheap, right? Because they drag Warren out. Up until that point, the prior five years, if you've seen in about the last three, is everybody's whinging about, you know, oh, Warren Buffett hasn't beaten the S&P and, <laughs> you know, Warren Buffett this and he's an old man and blah, 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 blah. Suddenly they'll reel him out by going, you know, Now's the time to buy stocks. And of course, at that stage, everybody's paralyzed. But in terms of well one, what it is, is it's a different strategy. As I said to folks before, it's not a trading strategy. So it's not talking about, you know, candlesticks and heads and shoulders and, you know, dojis and all that sort of thing in technical analysis. It's a really simple strategy and it's based on logic and mathematics, which are quite simple to use. It takes you, you know, and I'm being serious, probably five minutes a day to do, if that. It's disavowing people of the pre-existing ideas that they have about investing, about taxes, about buy and hold, about rebalancing, you know, asset allocation. Why have I got this big bunch of cash if I could put it in and make much more money? All that sort of thing. With that well one strategy, uh, this is probably going into sort of dangerous territory in terms of products and so on. But would you use leveraged um, leverage fund for a, a shorter time? You can do. You can do. It just depends first on the situation. The reason why I, I, I prefer to sort of put people through, you know, well two and well three strategies first is because well one is still based on the principles that we teach, but it's a slightly different approach. But once you get the principles, you go, oh, okay, this is why you do that because you taught me the principle of rebalancing and so this one does this. So again, you can use leverage. I don't recommend it for first timers because, you know, as Warren Buffett said, they're weapons of mass destruction. Six ways to go broke. I think yeah, that's yeah. one of them. Yep. So, um, but again, the idea of our, of our strategies and our book is to say, one, you can do it yourself. Two, it's really not that difficult and it's quite simple. And it is based on these few principles that you use because otherwise you end up in this, this you know, really large, complex morass of, you know, well, you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to watch this and you've got to watch that and, you know, you've got to buy, you've got to buy gold here and sell it up here and all this sort of stuff. Um, it, it, you know, most of us haven't got time to do that stuff. It's much simpler to say, look, here's what you should do. Here's the principles that it's based on. Now go away and live your life and know that you've got these pots of money or wells of money that are that are working for you. So let's bring this back to, to wrap it up. We're talking again about the three wells and total money management, how we invest our money. That's the, the topic we're covering off today. So, so in my case, I figure currently there's a pretty high risk in 2020, we'll see a recession. Uh, so naturally, I... For, as for anybody who has real estate, in fact, you should have a, a decent buffer. But that's really what I'm focusing on at the moment is making sure that I've got plenty of buffer in well one, probably more than normal, uh, because we could go into, who knows, we've got a, 
an unknown global pandemic, a black swan, you know, we could go into periods of shutdown, tenants defaulting on rent. So first and foremost, a good cash buffer. I think that should always apply uh, to anyone with real estate. Uh, in terms of long-term investments, well, my wealth three has uh, properties in, in London and Sydney and and elsewhere, Melbourne, Brisbane. Those sort of assets are their long-term legacy assets. There's not really much to change in that in that uh, regard in terms of just managing the cash flow, uh, keeping a decent buffer and so on. My other Wealth 3 investments will be this year I'm looking at, I'm very interested in oil companies, energy companies. That's the, the Wealth 3 strategy. Wealth 2 is the interesting one. I guess this is where it depends when you're tuning in, the stage of the cycle. Last year, we were tilted very heavily towards cash in 2019 because markets, especially in the US, at a level that had never previously been sustained. There's no reason to believe why it would ever be uh, different uh, this time. This year, well, it's early days, but things are starting to move you know, gradually in the other direction and there may be some more value coming around. Uh, from a personal point of view, uh, being a Brit, I've got money in pounds. So I'm, I'm particularly interested in the FTSE, but uh, being a cheap one of the cheaper markets. Uh, but often when the cycle turns, you find that the value pops up all, over, all around the world as the US corrects. Uh, so uh, my strategy is really just based around in well too, just a tilt from uh, cash into stock. You can never time these things perfectly. So that's why I have a written plan that says when the CAPE ratio is at certain levels, I just adjust my allocation between cash and stock. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Steve, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm just all stocks. <laughs> I hate property. Talk to Pete about property. Um, because, um, but that's just what I like. I love stocks. I love economics. Uh, you know, I've, I've followed it for 30 odd, you know, 40 odd years. And that's what I like doing. I hate cleaning houses and um, hanging pictures on the wall. So in well one, I'm very much basically about, I don't know, 90% cash or something. Um, and I have been for a while because of the way the market's been acting. Well, too, like Pete, I vary between 80 and 20% in terms of stocks and cash and bonds as well. At the moment there, I'm pretty heavily in cash. Again, I was actually just doing it um, before we started rolling. And I think I'm somewhere about 60 to 70% in cash. The reason why is because I'm actually short the market. So I count that as being sort of cash because I'm not in the market in that sense. In Well3, same sort of thing. I Well3, I think, is even 75% cash. Again, because the market is very expensive, I have no problems at all holding and, you know, missing the bottom. I don't worry about that at all. The reason why is quite simple, because... If someone comes up as the market is prone to do at the end of the year and say, Steve will offer you 12, then I'll take it. And that's when you'll see me flip from 20% stocks to 80% stocks to holding a little bit of cash. And it raises an interesting point that you talk about, Pete. Most of us have this life plan that says, here's what we're going to do and here's where I'm traveling. And then you get married five years, you have cute kids and you look at that life plan and go, what the hell happened there? No one ever says, oh, I think I'll get married and divorced in 10 years and I'll have two kids and be on my own. It's a bit like, uh, right, that doesn't sound like a very nice plan. But I'm saying to you, that's what happens in life. Now, in the markets, we're very fortunate to be able to say, well, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But I can tell you that probably there'll be some great investments will come up and I'll be able to say, 
that's when I can get 12 or 13%. That is simply what Warren Buffett does. He just says, look, go and live your life, right? Let your cash pile up, manage some of your assets over, a, you know, whatever your time frame is, let the cash pile up. And then when someone comes along and says, Steve, here's a thing that I want to offer 14 or 12 or whatever, then you can take some. Then when they come back and say to you, Steve, look, you know, you've made a lot of money, but now we're only going to give you 1%. That's when you say, okay, thanks. I think I'll sell some and I'll repeat the process. It's no really more complex than that. And what, as I said, I do harp on about cash and optionality is it gives you great range of options because you've got liquidity. You know, you've got liquidity there. So if something happens, you can go, all right, at least I've got cash. And as we mentioned in a previous episode, you know, people, they often sort of look back and say, oh, well, in 2009, you could buy the banks for these prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But often people don't for the simple reason. Not all of them. That in the, uh, well, <laughs> I did. <laughs> in the depths of, the, of a recession yep. is that, uh, you know, people are actually more worried about just surviving. Absolutely. Keeping their job, keeping a buffer. Yeah. And as, as we said in the previous episode, stock prices don't fall to those lows because people are buying them. It's yes. the exact opposite. Everybody's focusing on buffer and yep. liquidity. Mm. And this is why, as you mentioned, it's been Buffett's great genius, always maintaining cash and it gives you optionality and it gives you a massive amount of peace of mind when markets are falling and everybody's essentially just hoping that the market doesn't keep falling. And it gets back to, again, Pete, what we mentioned in the previous episodes about having patience, you know, the the 10,000 at 7% for 10 years versus 10,000 only earning 4% in cash and then turning over to earning uh, 10% compounding for the last six years, you end up with more money. It's a mathematical thing. It's not a, it's not a, you know, a go next level wealth secret. It's simply the way mathematics works. And it's the way compounding works. Compounding works in reverse. And we're going to talk about that in the next episode. But, you know, what people say, oh, well, what you're going to do is put your money in and let it compound. Well, that I don't disagree with that. But compounding works in reverse. Whereas, you know, if you lose 50%, as we always say, you got to double to get back to where you were. Yeah, this was my issue. and I'm sure we talked about this in an earlier episode. People say, well, you can't time the market. And people were saying, well, you just buy at any price. And yeah. it's like... Prices you, are relevant if, if you, you think e- it's just going to go up. If you ever heard any indicator of a bubble, that must be it. You know, buy at any price. And yeah. uh, the ASX was at 7,200 or so. And people say, well, you still buy. And it's like, well... The thing is, why? You know, it's not like uh, no opportunity will ever come round again. What's the rush to get fully yeah. invested? I, yeah. I, I get it. It's a long-term investment and you, you, you do get the income. But yeah, I mean, this is where at least just recognising the cycle can really work in your favour. So Yeah. It's a really easy question. Give me some money now and I'll give you 2%. Just save your money and I'm going to come back and give you 10. What would you like to do? I'll take the 10. All right, we'll just hold on to your money because that's all the stock markets do. They, they crash and then, excuse me, I come back to you and I say, Pete, now I'm offering 11. You say, okay, I'll have some of that. Mm. And as I say, it's not actually about timing the market. It's about saying, what are the odds and what are the chances that I'll get a pretty good return? Let's look at history. Oh, well, look at these points here. Well, I should probably just wait till it goes down here. Yeah, okay. And that's all you do. And you by know? the way, this is the same in every asset class. You know, if you the the returns you get is the function of the price you pay and yep. the stage of the cycle. So, uh, I mean, look at, uh, sorry, again, I'm interrupting, but oil was $150. You know, now it's 29 and it may end up at 15. 
you want to buy and hold through that? No, thanks very much. I'd rather have the million in the bank from my made from buying it at 20 where it went to 150. So in the next episode, we're going to talk about the Kelly criterion. And uh, that's a really good case in point because I've been buying some BP and some Shell. Prices are going down. But the interesting thing from the Kelly model perspective is when the odds shift in your favour, and let's say the oil price goes down to... 15 or to 10. Yep. The the interesting thing with the way the numbers work, and a lot of people don't get this in their gut because they're just dollar cost averaging, is that when prices get down to those kind of levels, the same amount of your money can buy more and more shares or units yep. in the investment. And it's a, it's a counterintuitive thing is that if you found good investment and you've got cash, you actually want it to get cheaper. If BP halves again from here and then halves again, well, thanks very much because I'll just be buying until the cows come home. That only really works with either ETFs or big, safe, systemic companies. It's not really a good strategy. Small businesses, because the Kelly model says you must be around to live and fight another day. So yep. in the next episode, we're going to talk in, uh, it's an extended episode, we're going to talk about the Kelly criterion. Today, we've been talking about uh, total money management, again, the three wells and how we invest our money. So the challenge for you is to go away and think about your own situation and try and think in those time frames. So the, the, the well one, your 12 months uh, buffer, your two to five year money uh, for lifestyle, and then your longer term legacy investments that can just go, go on compounding away in the background. So thanks for joining. And we'll see you next time when we'll be talking about the Kelly Criterion and how to maximise your long-term wealth. Cheers. Cheers. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.